Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Our universe is filled with secrets and mysteries, leaving us with many questions to be answered. Now more than ever, we find ourselves searching for those answers as the very fabric of space, science, and society are converging. For the first time, these worlds collide as we give you the knowledge that breaks the barrier between what is science and what is merely pop culture. This, this, this is Star Talk. Now, here's your hosts, astrophysicist Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson and comedian Lynn Coplitz. Star Talk. Welcome back to. Star Talk. I'm your host, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. And my co-host, Lynn Coplitz, professional comedian, is actually on the road right now. She's performing at the Pittsburgh Improv. You might catch her tonight if you happen to be in the area. And she's also an actress and appears in Xerox on the Independent Film Channel on Sunday nights. Check it out. You can go to Lynn Coplitz's homepage at Lynn dash coplets.com that's lynn with an e again i'm your host neil degrasse tyson welcome back to star talk in lieu of my charming co-host lynn coplets i snatched from the halls of princeton university an old-time friend and colleague of mine professor j richard gott richard gott welcome to star talk radio hi neil glad to be here <laughs> 
<laughs> Richard Gott is one of the world's experts on all kinds of exotic astrophysics. And today's subject is going to be time travel. Is time travel possible? And what sorts of frontier astrophysical phenomena, black holes, warp space, uh, uh, wormholes, what sorts of astrophysical phenomena enable it or prevent it? That's today's show on Star Talk. Now, as you and, and, and Rich, we every time when we begin Star Talk, we find out what our good friend uh, Bill Nye has to say about black holes and Big Bang in the universe. So, okay. can you, you're going to hang for the whole hour? Sure. And let's see what Bill Nye says to start us off. Check him out. Hey, hey, Bill Nye, the science guy here, as the singer Hank Williams pointed out, we'll never get out of this world alive. For us, the conveyor belt of time goes one way, and we're on it. No way to live forever. And getting out of here, forget it. Gravity's got us stuck. But since this is Star Talk Radio, we can tell you there is a way out. Find a black hole and fall in. That's a star, or was a star, so massive that nothing can get out, not even pure energy. Light is sucked in along with everything else. In there, you could end up in another part of the universe or another universe at another time. You're still dead, though. This black hole business is not intuitive, and we may have just discovered an intermediate version and special clouds of interstellar gas called blobs, detectable with x-rays. Fundamentally, from our universe, is there a way to see to some other side? There has to be a lot more to the story of stars than we know right now. But Star Talk listeners, you and I, can't help but struggle and strive to understand the world that keeps us alive. Listen on. That was Bill Nye, frenetic as he is in every minute that he gives us. You're listening to Star Talk Radio. You can call us at 1-877-5-STAR-TALK if you have a question on the frontier of astrophysics, be it about the Big Bang, the black hole that we've been discovering, wormholes, and in particular, today's subject, time travel. So, Rich, my guest host for today, uh, Rich, is, is time travel possible? Well, yes. Um, Einstein showed that time travel to the future was possible in his 1905 theory of special relativity. Mm -hmm. and, and you say that as though you've done it. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Like, like, yeah, it's possible to go to Baltimore, you know. Well, we do have time travelers with us even today. The, the greatest time traveler uh, up to date is Sergei Krikalov. He's a Russian astronaut. He spent time up on the Mir space station and, and, and in a few shuttle flights. Now, the Mir space station preceded the current International Space Station. That's if, right. In case people forgot that, just to clue them in, yeah. And so the mechanism that he's using there is that Einstein showed that in special relativity that moving clocks tick slowly. Well, well how long was he on Mir? Well, the total time he spent in orbit was about 803 days. So, so years. He spent years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so the space station, the Mir, in orbit is going like 18,000 miles an hour. So is that fast enough to have measurable effects? It slows down your clock just a little. So, in fact, uh, he, he came back after all of his voyages. He was 1 48th of a second younger than he would have been if he'd stayed home. <laughs> so now, he traveled to the future 148th of a second. 148th of a second. So when he got back, see, he found the Earth to be 148th of a second toward the future. Now, that doesn't seem like much. N no, it, not only does it not seem like much, <laughs> it isn't much, Rich. <laughs> well, um, someone asked me once, well, why is it so easy to travel in space but so hard to travel in time? 
And the answer is we haven't been very far in space either. Um, the furthest we've been in space is to the moon, which Einstein would tell us is 1.3 light seconds away. You would need you can just calculate that. You would need Einstein to tell you. It's well, 1. he 3. would tell you that if you're going to compare distances in space with mm-hmm. distances in time, you should use the speed of light. Uh, okay. So we say Alpha Centauri is four light years away. The nearest it takes, star to the sun, star system. Right. Mm-hmm. So it takes light four years to get here. So we've been 1.3 seconds in light seconds in space and 48, 148th of a second in time. So uh, Mr. Krikalov is like Lindbergh. He's like traveled a distance in time equal to going across the Atlantic, basically. Oh, I see. Okay. So he's, that's just the beginning then, just as Lindbergh. That's the first step. <laughs> By the way, Rich, you have a book called Time Travel in Einstein's Universe. Yes. came out a couple of years ago, but it's available yes. in paperback, right. published by Houghton Mifflin. Right. And we'd like to actually uh, give away some free copies of that book to callers whose questions may have earned the right to receive a free book. We'll be listening for your calls later in the show. So we got uh, Kirk Krikalov. Sergey Krikalov. Now, the previous guy who had the record mm-hmm. was Sergey Avdeyev. So he was a 50th of a second. So apparently it's good to be named Sergey. <laughs> <laughs> So the Russian, so we don't have any Americans who are in the running for this, I guess. Not, not in the running currently. So yes. we're nicer to our people by not leaving them in orbit for years and forgetting about them. I think that's right. <laughs> so do you have like a, a, a sort of layman's account for how you can actually uh, travel into the future using Einstein's rules? What is it about the physics of relativity that enables us? Well, we all know that Einstein was a genius. So well, what did he do that really made him a genius? Well, mm-hmm. special relativity he built off of two postulates. Mm-hmm. One was that motion is relative. And you've seen this when you're on an airplane going at 500 miles an hour and the windows are down, you're watching some bad movie, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it seems just like you're on the ground. Yeah. In fact, if there's no turbulence, if there's no turbulence, if there's no turbulence, mm-hmm. and you're not turning, uh, in fact, sometimes you actually are on the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> most um, most times lately, I've, well, that yeah. that was it. That its motion is relative. You can't tell whether you're moving or not. Mm-hmm. He thought that that applied to Newton's laws of physics, and he thought that should apply to all the laws of physics, all including right. electrodynamics. The second electrodynamics, the study of uh, uh, properties of light basically, yes. light and particles interacting with them, yeah? Yes, and okay. so the second postulate was that the speed of light should always be observed by you. A light beam should pass you at always the same speed, 300,000 kilometers a second. Mm-hmm. And that was because Maxwell showed that the speed of light was could be calculated from a ratio of magnetic to electric forces. And when he got that velocity, he said... Eureka! This is the velocity astronomers have already measured to be the velocity of light. So, so I know good. that electromagnetic waves, which I've just calculated, light. is light. Okay. So uh, Einstein thought that we should see that always at that speed. If we didn't, we would know we were moving. If we saw it going by 200,000 kilometers a second, we'd say, hey, I'm going by, I must be moving at 100,000. And that wasn't allowed by the first postulate. So with those two postulates, he proved a lot of theorems that you could then check. He, he did thought experiments. So one of the experiments that he thought of was— So this is, as a theorist, without a budget to create a lab, he thinks of experiments he in He thought head. up the experiment. <laughs> Nobody really done anything like this uh-huh. before. He thought up an experiment. And one of the experiments was, he said, suppose I have a light clock, and I just have a mirror at the bottom and a mirror at the top— I'll bounce a light beam back and forth. This is a mirror on the floor and a mirror on the ceiling. 
That's right. Start a beam of light bouncing between the two, and there it goes. And it'll take uh, a a number of nanoseconds to go from the top to the bottom. Billionths of a second. Yes. Mm -hmm. If it's three feet tall... Your, your clock will take three nanoseconds to, to, to beat. A, a foot per nanosecond. That's the you velocity it. of light. It's right. very easy to remember in those years. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you're sitting now for me three billionths of a light second away. Three, bil- three billionths of a second yes. away from me. In fact, you're seeing me not as I am now, but as I was three billionths of a second ago. And you look marvelous. Yes. In the past. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm a bit younger than I really am. Uh-huh. I look a bit younger. Yeah, right. <laughs> the further you move away, the younger you look. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something to remember. Anyway, the um, you have the light clock. And then, so I'm in this closed room, and I see the light beam just going back and forth, and I can count, I can keep time this way. That's a good clock. Mm-hmm. Now, suppose there's an astronaut moving by you mm-hmm. at four fifths the speed of light, right. zipping by, shoom, mm-hmm. from left to right. Now he's got a light clock too, just like yours, right. and and he sees it going up and down in the light clock from the floor to the ceiling, in from his the floor room, to the, in his room. But his room's moving relative to yours. So when you look at his light beam, you see it go from the bottom down here over on the left, to the upper right as he's Mm -hmm. moving from left to right. By the time he gets to the top, he's moved over to the right. So that light beam has gone on a longer diagonal path as far as you're measuring It's gone on the hypotenuse of that triangle. The hypotenuse of the triangle. We all remember the hypotenuse. We all remember that. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And mm -hmm. it's longer than one of the sides. By the way, you're listening to Professor Rich Gott from Princeton University, a a colleague of mine from the Department of Astrophysics there, talking talking cosmic stuff. Go on. He's explaining how you can move into the future using relativity. So go on. So so when I look at his light clock, his light clock has got to tick slow relative to mine. If he's moving at four-fifths the speed of light, that diagonal path is five feet that I measure. So I must say it takes five nanoseconds for his talk to, clock to tick. So I must see him his clock ticking at three-fifths the rate of my clock. Now, here's the interesting part. All of his clocks have to tick slower by that same factor. Not just his light clock. Not just his light clock. His heart has to beat slower. Otherwise, he'd notice that relative to his heart, which is also a clock, that his light clock is ticking slow. Mm -hmm. And so because he can't know whether he's moving or not, uh, he has to to age more slowly, too. So you're saying Einstein's two postulates— require that he's aging less if his two postulates are correct. That's right. And lo and behold, experiments show that, in fact, this is the case. They do. They took uh, atomic clocks on airplanes, flew them uh, uh, east around the world where the velocity of the plane would add to the rotational velocity of the Mm -hmm. Earth, and they came back slow by about 50 nanoseconds, which is what Einstein would have predicted. And these clocks are accurate enough to measure that when clearly you're a Russian astronaut you could not have said, or let's check your heartbeat, see if it's one forty-eighth of a second too slow. You couldn't have done that. That's so right. it's really the calculation that tells you that he went into the future by that much. But the implications of this are large because if you get on a spaceship and you go at 99.995% the speed of light mm-hmm. out to a star 500 light years away, and then you turn around and you come back, when you get back, the Earth will be a 1,000 years older. But you will have only aged 10 years. This is how you move into the future. Now, who would want to do that? Because then everyone would have just forgotten about you. <laughs> by then. Well, I think that would be really interesting. You know, uh, you so could, you would do this? 
Rich, oh, we, sure. We love you here in the present, Rich. But the year of 3000 would be really interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You would hope, you, if Earth is still here, if humans Look, are took, still here. It, it took Marco Polo 24 years to go visit China and come back to Europe and tell people about it. And so if you went on an accelerating rocket ship, you could accelerate it, 1G acceleration, perfectly mm-hmm. comfortable. It'd take you about 24 years going out and back. On your, as far as your clock was concerned, you'd arrive back to Earth and be a thousand years in the future. What, we're going to get back to this because we know that there have been movies we've all seen that involve time travel. And I want to get from you your expert view on whether those movies got it right or wrong or what, the, what was fun or what, was, what, what irked you when, you when you saw them. We're going to take a break from Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your host. And call us and tell us what your favorite time travel movie has been, or whether you want to travel into the past or the future, if you had that choice. We're going to learn how to travel into the past as well and learn all about what kinds of paradoxes that might create, as we've learned from films as well. We'll be back after a break. one 877 5 is our number. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say Yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Whether you're a space cadet scientist we want to hear from you the phone lines are open call now this is star talk that would be one 5 star talk if you have a question about time travel wondering whether it's possible you have a question for my host my co-host for today's episode and he is professor j richard gott from Princeton University. He's professor of astrophysics there. He's written a book called Time Travel in Einstein's Universe. So we're all about that today. But first, let me ask you, you're, you're from Princeton. I, I noticed you have a distinct accent from south of the Mason-Dixon line. What, where's that from? I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, originally. L- Louisville. 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 There are many different ways to pronounce this. <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky. How many other Kentucky astrophysicists are there? Uh, well, uh, Hubble actually spent a little time Edwin in Louisville, Hubble. 
teaching teaching high school. But he surely in his d- career. did not speak with a Kentucky accent. Uh, no, he he kind of had an English accent after he spent some time in England. Well, it sounded like he like enjoyed faking that English accent. <laughs> okay. My accent hasn't changed though much since I've been in New Jersey. Uh, people might remember that uh, Princeton is where Einstein spent out his later years. He came to America and hung out at Princeton. Uh, he's still revered there, of course, right? Is that right? Oh, sure. At the fiftieth, uh, we we had the fiftieth anniversary of his uh, nineteen oh five theory of special relativity, okay. and they they actually put up a bust of Einstein in the on the off the main street there in Princeton. Okay, did people genuflect in front of it, or did they? <laughs> Princeton people loved Einstein. He would eat at the restaurants, and he would. Uh, he would go into the flower shop and order like seventeen roses, you know. And, <laughs> Just for all his girlfriends, I heard he was the ladies' man. Is that? <laughs> well, he did order. He did order flowers at the flower <laughs> shop, and the trouble was that, that that no one would cash his checks because a check signed by Einstein was worth, was worth more than the amount. So. Finally, he said, listen, I, could I clear up my checkbook? Uh, I'll, I'll give you as many autographs as you want if you'll just cash the checks. <laughs> so there are Einstein T-shirts. So are there soon will be like Richard Gott T-shirts in Princeton, do you think? Well, well I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich, tell me, the, uh, not only can you uh, time travel by moving fast uh, out of Einstein's theories, general theory of relativity, gravity – Extreme gravity can also affect your time travel. That's that's true as well. So, any examples of that that you can cite? Well, if you if you go deep in a gravitational well, just closer to a source of gravity. Closer to a source of gravity. Mm-hmm. For example, if you're on the planet Mercury, mm-hmm. your clock would tick slightly slower there, both because Mercury is orbiting around the sun really rapidly, fast, yeah. more rapidly than the Earth, but also because Mercury is down, hunkered down in the gravitational well of the sun. So when when photons come out from Mercury to us, they are they lose energy. Uh, because they got to climb out of this gravitational well, and that lengthens their wavelength, and it means that they come the, the the waves come in from wavelength to wavelength more slowly. So you see everything going in slow motion, like so. I'm talking to you very slowly from Mercury. Had you, if you were a Mercury resident and didn't vaporize in the heat of the sun, that's what you would a sound little, like. <laughs> a little slowly. So if we sent an astronaut to live on Mercury for 30 years and then brought them back to Earth, they'd come back about 22 seconds younger than they should have been, or they'd travel 22 seconds into the future. So if uh, ignoring the speed version of that uh, time travel, just the being in a deep gravity well, he can just sit there and age more slowly. That's true. So is any movie that sort of captures that aspect of it? Well, yes, there was a movie, um, uh, The Time Machine, in 2001. where H.G. The, Wells, The Time it's, Machine. It's the same story of H.G. Uh, Wells, mm-hmm. basically, with mm-hmm. a few additions. All right. <laughs> basically <laughs> the same story. Uh-huh. And he sits in this sort of spherical time machine, mm-hmm. and uh, he just notices that the, uh, the uh, world outside is going by rather quickly, and namely he's going slowly through time. He's aging more slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you could really build one like this about that size that's depicted in the movie if you put yourself inside a shell of mass that was about the mass of Jupiter. Now, the you would age four times more slowly than the people outside, so it's a good way to hurry to the next election. You, know? okay. um, you could get there quicker. Um, uh, you get now, there one year instead of four years. Yeah, it only take you one year to get there. You, so that's just Jupiter, but you imagine a black hole would accelerate this, right? 
Well, yes, the, the, if you wanted to go millions of years into the future, as the movie portrays him going 800,000 years into the future, for that one, you need about 100 million solar masses, and it's going to be about the size, this shell of mass is going to be about the size of the Earth's orbit. And you're going to sit in there and age more slowly. And uh, the other way and to do And by the way, is, it's one thing to say you age more slowly, but what's actually going on is you think you're, do, you're being normal, and everything around you is moving faster. That's right, and and one we, of the we got a phone call. I think we okay. have Michael on the line from Los Angeles. Yeah, is that you? How you doing? Welcome to Star Talk. Pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> you so guys, you sort of answered my question. I guess what I, as you approach heavier gravitational sources, I my question is is the physical ramifications that you know, if you were on Mercury, your body's going to have to expend more energy. And i.e. that you know parts of your body is going to break down faster, muscles and all that. So I would think physically, well, obviously Mercury, or but I'm even, I guess I'm saying, how do you counteract that physical force that would be detrimental to your body? Plus, there's a little bit about the fact that the sun would vaporize you on the surface. Right, of Right, right. <laughs> but, but I guess it's it's is it the gravity that actually it does this, or is there a you know like Einstein said, the the fabric of that universe and stuff is being stretched. Michael, that's an excellent question. So, Rich, yeah. what, what he's asking is... Thank you. Is, thank, you, thank you, Michael. What he's asking, is it something physiological about the heavier gravity that your body's reacting to, or is there something deeper than that? Well, you think everything's going normally. We're going to put you in a good space cabin, you mm -hmm. know, to live, mm -hmm. where, where we're going to protect you from the heat of the sun and, and that. Um, but uh, the, the, the thing that's going to happen to you is that as you live out your life, if you send signals out to me, uh, those, those are going to lose energy as they come out. So uh, their wavelength is going to be longer. So I'm going to look at you and see everything happening in slow motion. And you're going to look back at the Earth and see everything happening a bit fast. So um, the, the time travel movie that we were talking about where he was seeing thousands of years go by on the surface of the Earth and he, he was uh, aging only very slowly – those those uh, visible photons coming in, showing him the visible light coming in, would be shifted way into the ultraviolet and into the X-rays. So 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 he'd be fried by looking at the uh, okay, vicinity the, of the Earth. They so missed that part of the movie. They I missed guess. that part, <laughs> and also the part that his spaceship would have been so massive that it would have torn the Earth apart. So. I do not expect to find people building time machines in their garage. Now, have you ever have you ever consulted on a time machine movie? Um, I mean, not that you're author of time travel in Einstein's universe. I've consulted on other movies, and 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 the thing is, they they usually uh, ask for your advice, and then they don't follow it <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> because the plot needs to be spicier. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trouble. <laughs> so uh, tell me about how black holes would play into this. I, if I orbit a black hole real close, uh, I can be moving fast, and I'm in a deep gravitational well. So how different is the time there? Well, you can slow down your clock by, by just hanging out in the vicinity of the black hole. Don't go in. Don't. <laughs> Don't go past that point of no return. But you, you, you hang out outside, and you can, you can get quite a bit toward the future doing that. So that's a good way to go toward the future. You want to get a, a big black hole so that the tidal forces aren't too bad. Otherwise, you'd be ripped apart. You don't want to be ripped the, apart. But right. we got 3 billion solar mass black holes where the tidal forces at the edge are 
quite fine. We've got those in the centers of galaxies. Yes. So, so we can yes. send you there and report back. We have back. to go there and then <laughs> hang around. You're listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, with my guest co-host this week, Professor J. Richard Gott the third, if I remember correctly, right. a professor of astrophysics at Princeton University is telling us about time travel, the astrophysics of it. You can call in if you have a question about black holes, the universe, the Big Bang, ways of traveling forward or backwards in time. We're at one eight seven seven five star talk You can also hear us streamed on StarTalkRadio.net, or you can tweet us. If you have a tweet, send it to StarTalkRadio. We're there. So, Rich... I, there's other movies where they go into See, the future. See, if you're coming from a black hole, it'd be stretched out. Tweet. Oh, tweet. We get one like that, they're coming from a black hole. Oh. So. <laughs> very <laughs> slow tweet. <laughs> Anyone from the future or from the bed? Yeah, tweet us and we'll know by the frequency of your sound. Tell me about um, one of everyone's early favorite time travel movies was Planet of the Apes. Is that just a simple time travel into the future movie? That's the simplest kind. Uh, the, the astronaut, Charlton Heston, he goes in a spaceship. You know, it gets going too fast, near the speed of light. He doesn't really know that. He comes back. He lands on the Earth. Uh, oh, he doesn't he, know it's Earth. He doesn't, he doesn't know it's Earth. Yeah, yeah. He thinks it's just landed on another planet because there's these apes running everything. <laughs> you know? And then, of course, at the, I, yeah, I'd give away the end of the movie. But he. But he, what, what would have cued him in is that the apes are speaking English. <laughs> so. That would be a hint. You'd think he would pick up on that, you know? Why are the apes speaking English? How do they know English? But he, but he finally, at the end of the movie, he, he encounters the ruins of the Statue of Liberty. And then he says, oh, my. So uh -oh. this is simple forward time travel using Einstein. Easy to do. We know you can do this. It's just a matter of money. you got to increase the NASA budget by a lot. <laughs> so you get moving really fast. We've got another call. John, is that you in L.A.? Yes, it is. How are you doing? What questions do you have for us today? Oh, I, I have a question which has troubled me for a long time, and I'm hoping that somebody can answer it. Bring your troubles onto us. <laughs> I, I understand the universe to have, at the time of the Big Bang, been a very, very tiny point. And then we had the Big Bang, and since the Big Bang, according to modern science, I believe 13.7 billion years have passed. You got it. And with modern telescopes, uh, we are able to see probably more than 90% back in time to, uh, to galaxies that are on the very edge of, practically at the edge of the universe. You got it. Those galaxies are perhaps 13 billion light years away. You, you can teach Astro 101 at the rate you're going, sir. <laughs> it's not clear and you will have any question, question at all at the end of this. Here but... is my question, sir. <laughs> Starting from a point in 13, um, how did those galaxies get 13 billion light years away in approximately um, 13, uh, uh, 13 billion light years away so quickly? Okay, so Rich, so he's asking. This is a very good and very deep question. And is there time travel going on with these galaxies? Well, what's happening? Yeah, thank you, John, for that question. Rich, what do you have? Well, what's happening here is that in the very early universe, the, the, the galaxies are moving apart from each other because the space between the galaxies is stretching like a big sheet of rubber. And so uh, we see the galaxies, with time, getting further and further away from us because this sheet of rubber is stretching. 
So at the beginning of the universe, the universe is stretching so fast that the light can't travel between the two points. So it's the, the, the space is stretching between those two galaxies faster than light could cross the distance between them. Einstein's theory says you can't go faster than the speed of light. Someone can't pass you faster than the speed of light. But it never says that the space between you and someone else can't stretch faster than the speed of light. So that's how they get out there for us to see. So you're talking about the fabric of the universe expanding at what any arbitrary speed according that's to right. the, the tenets of the Big Bang. Because little pieces of it are just stretching a little, but you put a lot of them together and that makes the distance between the two stretch faster than the speed of light. Well, I'm ready to start giving away your book, actually. In fact, I wanted to give it to John, but he hung up before we could get his address. In fact, if he calls back, I think we can give us a address. I think we'll give him a book. Because that was a good question, you admit. That was a great question. John, if you're out there, let us know. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back to Star Talk Radio. If you want to call us, if you have a question, a comment about what your favorite time travel movie is, a question for my co-host for this episode, J. Richard Gott, professor of astrophysics, give us a call at one eight seven seven five star talk We're streamed on StarTalkRadio.net, and you can tweet us at StarTalkRadio. See you in a bit. The future of space and the secrets of our planet revealed. This is Star Talk. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, astrophysicist, with a friend and colleague of mine, Professor J. Richard Gott, professor of astrophysics at Princeton University, as guest co host, substituting for Lynn Complitz, who's actually doing stand up. Uh, comedy tonight at the Pittsburgh Improv. Check her out if you're in town. So, Rich, I've got a, a couple of questions for you. Are, are your students getting smarter or dumber lately? We, we hear all these complaints about America getting dumb. When you teach astrophysics, how do you feel about them over the years? I think people today are just as smart as they were before. <laughs> Okay. About the same is, okay. is the answer. <laughs> you, I mean, has there been like an Einstein in your class that you could identify as somebody? Well, they come along more rarely than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just curious. You know, I mean, you know, you, it, I, I used to be in the in the in the professor role, but I, now I don't see a new crop of students every year. But if the, the trend line is about stable, that's that's a good sign, I think. Uh, so let me ask you: We were talking about time travel, and not not to be too topical, but you know, we lost Michael Jackson recently. He and I are the same age, by the way. I don't know if you know, but he and I were once confused for each other back when I was 13 years old. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was left less sort of beefed up back then before I sort of started doing athletics. So I was kind of a skinny kid. And he, we had the same sort of skin tone and had the same afro of the day. And three girls, uh, I was in a in a, um, in a, in a in Gimbel's, the, uh, the department store. And these three girls were like drawing straws as he would walk up to me to see if I was Michael Jackson. And one of them came up and I had to disappoint them. Well, you must look very self-confident. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly before all the surgery. Uh, I'm wondering if it's one thing to send your whole body forward and back in time, but could like Michael Jackson get his old nose back or something? Is there a way to do something like that? Well, uh, no. When you, when you, the time traveler, even though you go visit the past, mm -hmm. you're always going forward into the future. Into so your own personal into future. Into your own personal future. So you keep aging. Mm -hmm. um, it's like Magellan. In, in general, 
general relativity, we have curved space-time. Yeah. So uh, it's like Magellan's crew left Europe. They went west, 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 yeah. around the world, mm-hmm. and they came back to Europe again. So the time traveler goes forward, always toward the future, as far as he's concerned, but circles back through twisted, curved space-time. Like the surface of the Earth was. To, just like the surface of the Earth was, to an event in his own past. So you can visit the past, but you'll be older when you get back there. You plus your nose and everything else that Michael Jackson might have wanted back. Now, you don't age in reverse when you go back in I time. I got you. Now, tell me about wormholes. We've always heard about, you know, in Contact, Jodie Foster looks like she travels through a wormhole. There's the warp space in, in Star Trek IV. Uh, let's go back in time. How is that possible? Well, in general relativity, this is Einstein's theory of curved space-time to explain gravity. And we believe this because it's been checked by light bending around the sun. We've done experiments that have checked this. That means we know it. We don't have to just believe it. That's right. Okay, we, it's passed the, experiment. the experimental test. Mm-hmm. So uh, general relativity, uh, you have curved space-time. So there was a famous poem. There was a young lady named Bright. She traveled far faster than light. She left one day in a relative way and returned home the previous night. Okay, there she goes. <laughs> so we always knew that if you could go faster than the speed of light, somehow, you could go back in time, theoretically. Mm-hmm. But Einstein showed that you couldn't build a rocket that would go that would pass someone at faster than the speed of light. That's because if you were in the rocket and you shot a laser beam toward the front of the rocket, it would never catch up to the front of the rocket. It would go backwards in your rocket, right? (laughs) That's right. It would hit the back end of the Mm -hmm. rocket, and so you'd know you were moving, and that's not allowed by that first postulate. So uh, you can't build a rocket that goes faster than the speed of light, but if you can take a shortcut by jumping through a wormhole and get to a distant place in space, Effectively quicker. faster than light would Then have. you beat a light beam there. Is that what they did in Star Trek IV? Um, Star Trek IV, just to remind you, you know, there's a current Star Trek movie out. I, I saw it and I loved it. Star Trek IV was like the Save the Whales movie. Remember that one? Save they go the back whales. to 1984 because there's a whale sound in their future time and the aliens picked it up, and they're waiting for the whale to reply, and there are no whales left because we hunted them to extinction. And so there's a problem. There's a problem. And uh, so what they did, of course, was they went back in time. Mm -hmm. They got a whale. They brought it to the 23rd century. Much to the whale's surprise. And the whale answers the extraterrestrial. Well, you got to bring two whales. You know. You need two whales. Well, they brought two. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it answered the extraterrestrial with a, with a whale, you know, whale song. song. And so everything was fine. I, I, my theory of that movie was always that the uh, trouble started when Carl Sagan sent on, on one of the um, – uh, Voyager spacecraft, a record with everyone on Earth saying hello, mm-hmm. you know, hola, and all the different languages, and they sent the whale song. And this was a big mistake because we don't know what the whales are saying. <laughs> we know what each of ourselves are saying, even in our multiple languages, but what are you worried about? It's, it's just a whale song. Well, they song. could be saying, uh, help, the humans are running this <laughs> extinction, come and save us, which I think was the basic plot of this movie. <laughs> So they, they went to the past, they got the whales, and everything was fine. This is 
totally self-consistent. Okay, all right. And so that so that movie was was okay. That one they they did it right. Much, but the whale is a little surprised to be yanked out of the present. And you have a whale that disappears from San Francisco one day, and they say, "Where'd the whale go?" And that's and, about it. And that's about it. That's okay. So could it be that there are people who have just disappeared that are sort of open cases in the in police log that you think someone has zapped them into the like Jimmy Hoffa. No one can find Jimmy Hoffa. Is he in the future? Maybe they should be looking for him in the 23rd century. <laughs> in, in New Jersey, in the 23rd century. <laughs> be a good place to hide. <laughs> so wormholes, do they exist? Can we make it? Well, let me, i got to give out the phone number here because I can't be the only one wondering how to ask questions about this. You're listening to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We've got a question for my co-host for this session, J. Richard Gott, professor of astrophysics and expert on everything cosmic, but especially on time travel, author of Time Travel in Einstein's Universe. Give us a call at one eight seven seven five star talk So tell me, is, is uh, what in time travel, wormholes, can we make a wormhole? Well, uh, the wormhole is made... Uh, you have to uh, have something to prop it open or else it'll collapse like a black hole and mm-hmm. kill you. So we need some negative energy density stuff, some, some stuff that weighs less than zero to hold it open. And because gravity would hold it closed. That's so right. So you need something to fight gravity. You need something to fight gravity and hold it open. And, and in fact, the empty space between two parallel metal plates is uh, uh, stuff like that that weigh the vacuum between those two plates is stuff that weighs less than zero. It's called the Casimir effect, and so, so that's stuff, what we know. This stuff exists. Yeah, that's what Kip Thorne's mm-hmm. using to prop open the the wormhole and allow okay. you to go through. Oh, so okay, but you got to keep it open, otherwise it collapses on you and you're dead. This yes. is dangerous stuff. And, and, and one mouth of it is like here near the Earth, and the other one might be four light years away. So you, you jump in the wormhole, you travel about 10 feet, and you pop out near Alpha Centauri. Oh, that works. And that works. And, okay. and you, you, you then have beaten a light beam there. And so if you move the wormhole mouths around appropriately, you can build a time machine. We've got a caller, another one. Uh, John, from Tucson. Is that Tucson, Arizona, John? No, Tuscan, California. Oh, excuse me, Tuscan, Tuscan, California. Excuse me. So, John, you got a question for Professor Gott? Yeah, I was wondering about uh, the theory of relativity and there not being any absolute motion. Wouldn't rotary motion be a form of absolute motion? Because if you were like blindfolded in space and had like jetpacks something started spinning in a circle, wouldn't the effects, you know, your arms going out, wouldn't that prove to you that there's uh, that you're moving without any outside influence? That's, yeah, excellent question, John. That, that, that's true. You can tell whether or not you're rotating or not because you get dizzy, you know. And throw up. And, yes. and, <laughs> and uh, we have the thing in the inner ear to tell you that. Um, Einstein's postulate of special relativity um, assume uniform motion in a straight direction without turning. So that's the, when, when you write the details of his postulate, it's stated that way. So therefore, if uh, uh, circular motion, rotational motion, if you're in a spin dryer, you know, and that's, that doesn't count in this analogy. You could uh, use a spin dryer, you know, if you hopped in one of those and you're spinning around rapidly, you'd, a little time travel to the future, not much. Is a spin dryer the same effect as being, so in other words, if you're in a spin dryer spinning really fast, 
Does that simulate being in a strong gravitational field? Yes, it does. In fact, Einstein showed that those two things are really the same. That acceleration you get on on the on one of those whirly gigs at the amusement park mm-hmm. where you're where you're pressed back uh, hard against the back. Uh, he said, "I think that's all gravity is. That kind of thing. It's the same physical thing going on." That was his genius in general relativity. Okay, so I, I don't know, John, if you're still on the line, but that's so we have the correspondence between rotary motion and gravity, and yes. and you can still age age more slowly. It, either on a black hole or in a spin dryer. That's what you're telling us. Yes, and particles that go around in our accelerators, they're going around in a circle, and they age much more slowly because they're going near the speed of light. So, uh, Rich, we've got a, a tweet. Right. Thank I, you. Okay, th- thanks, John, for calling in. And uh, if you hang on, we'll, give, we'll, we'll get you a book to you, if you can give us your, uh, your address before you hang up. If you hung up, call back in. We'll give you, we'll give you one of uh, Rich Gott's books. Uh, time travel in Einstein's universe. We have a tweet, Rich. Let me read it to you. If you were to go back in time and change something involving yourself, would you remember telling you something and not remember you being back in time? So let me see what that means. We're trying to approach a paradox here. Yes. Are there paradoxes? For example, yeah. uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. There's a movie. Every, you got to love Bill and Ted. You, I don't know who remember. I remember. I just, I just um, Netflixed it just last weekend. The whole family saw it. They go back in time, collect these old historic dudes, bring them into the present, but they also meet themselves at yes. a point back in time. It sounds like that's a paradox or something. Could, suppose they prevented their parents from meeting, for example, then they wouldn't be born, and then they couldn't go back in time to prevent their parents from meeting. How does that work? Well, this is the uh, basically your your grandmother paradox. Suppose you kill your grandmother as a young girl. Yes, as I, if I go be, back in time, then yeah. you won't be born. Um, but the trouble and born and alive to go back and kill my grandmother to prevent me from being born. That's right. Uh, but if you if you kill your grandmother and then uh, uh, you're you're not born, then your whole world line, your whole path through space and time vanishes, and you're not there to kill a grandmother. She says, all right, after all. So that didn't really solve the paradox. Well, I, I don't understand. <laughs> still so, a paradox. Okay, okay. <laughs> so the, there are two solutions to the paradox. One is that the world has to be self-consistent. Time travelers don't change the past at all. They were always part of it, like the person tweeting in said. If you met yourself in the past, you have a recollection of that. You've written that down in your diary. And uh, so you're not the time traveler. So doesn't what you're telling me, Rich, is I know I know my past. That's right. I know, therefore, that I will not build a time machine and meet myself in my current past because that hasn't happened in my past. That's right. So therefore, no one alive today, unless they can tell you they've met themselves in the past, has met themselves in the past, or will in the future meet themselves in the past of the present. That's right. <laughs> Does that make sense? So it doesn't mean time travelers can't influence. Well, let me give out our phone number again. If you, if you, uh, plus we got to take a quick break. Uh, if you want to, if you got a question about time travel, any of these movies we've been talking about, uh, relativity, give us a call on Star Talk Radio one eight seven seven five Star Talk. Tweet us at Star Talk Radio. We'll be back in a bit. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. 
Visit caron.org slash lost. Bringing space and science down to earth. You're listening to Star Talk. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, with a special guest host sitting in for Lynn Coplitz. This week, it's Professor Richard Gott, the third professor of astrophysics at Princeton University, a colleague of mine from the years I spent on the faculty there. And he's not only an expert on all things cosmic, but a particular expert on time travel, having written a book called Time Travel in Einstein's Universe. And we'd like to give the book away to callers that we take online here. So, uh, so Rich, th- tell me something. This, this, uh, if you go back in time, this, this paradox problem, uh, if you can't kill your, you prevent your parents from meeting, if I know, since my parents did meet and I was born, I can't go back in time and prevent that. No. So therefore, if I'm going to go back in time, it has to be in a time machine that is yet to be invented, and I go back in time of the past of that, but not in the past of my current present. Yeah, one of, one <laughs> of the clear? things one of the things we've discovered is that's interesting is that you can't go back before the time machine was invented. So if we invent a time machine in the year 3000 by twisting space and time up there, we can't use it to come back to the present. We could use it to go from 3002 back to 3001, but not before 3000 when the time machine was invented. So if a time machine has not yet been invented, nobody's going back to visit Julius Caesar. That's right. That's why you don't see – it's sufficient to explain why you don't see time travelers at the Kennedy assassination or other historical events. Like the Titanic. Well, yes. If you had a time machine and and you built it before the Titanic had sailed, mm-hmm. then you could use it. And and in fact, one wag suggested that the real reason the Titanic sank was the the all the time travelers stowaways on board that added to the weight of the <laughs> ship. So it sank because of the time travelers there to witness the sinking. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. We've got a call, Ron from L.A. Is that you on the line? Yes. Hello. Hi, welcome to Star Talk. Oh, I'm delighted. It's a wonderful conversation. Uh, my question uh, for your guest, for both of you, is this. Um, we're talking a lot about time and time travel. Um, I think many of us human beings experience time as having a past where there are no possibilities, a vivid thing, which we call the present, and then a future where there are no facts, Okay. In other words, they're, they're different, past, present, future, as I experience it. How do you reconcile that kind of time with the time that you're talking about with people aging at different rates and so forth? That's an excellent question. Certainly worthy of a book. I'd love to. Ron, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Rich, yeah, so we've got this past, present, and future, which we experience differently physiologically or neurologically, yet we're, you're talking about this whole continuum of time. How do did, how did these square with each other? Well, Einstein showed the time, there was a minus sign associated with the dimension of time. Because we have height, width, depth, and time, and that had a minus sign. That just had a minus sign. In his equations. That's all it is, mathematically. (laughs) Um, And yet, their human perception of it is that time is like a movie. Now, the past we know about because light beams 
go forward in time. There is an arrow of time that we think is connected with somehow the initial conditions of the universe. Um, and light beams go forward in time, not backwards. So uh, uh, events, uh, something causes something over here, and then the effects occur later. So that's why we know about the past and not about the future. Whereas we can know where we came from and where we're going because you can see the block that you walked and the block you're about to walk. But we don't have that access to the time dimension of all of this. We don't have access to the future yet. But the future, in Einstein's view, it was one four-dimensional thing. So there was one past and one future. We do have ideas now about many worlds theory of quantum mechanics. There could be many parallel worlds. But Einstein's view was that there was just one four-dimensional thing, space-time, and it played out like a movie. Okay, so the two... Very popular movies, Back to the Future and Terminator. Yes. They're both going into the past in, in those movies. How, how do they square in terms of the astrophysics? <laughs> well, um, in the Back to the Future movie, uh, at one point when he stops his parents from meeting, uh, his hand disappears. Mm-hmm. Well, well, hands just don't disappear like that. And besides, his whole... His whole path through space-time would uh, uh, would have disappeared. So they didn't quite solve that problem, but he, he did get his parents successfully back together. What, one of my favorite lines is there. There's the 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 estate where his homes were built. Uh, I think it was at the beginning. It was Twin Pines Estate, but one of the pine trees got knocked over when the DeLorean landed in that undeveloped land. Knocked over one of the pine trees. So later on, it becomes Lone Pine Estate. So, so they're working in the many well, the worlds pine. picture. There was the Lone Pine uh, Shopping Center. That's what it was. Yeah. Twin so, Pines and Lone so, Pine. so they're they're working on the idea that there are many parallel worlds, and it, when he goes back in time, he causes a branch off onto a parallel world, a separate universe that's otherwise identical except for these details. Right. Interesting. And Terminator. So they uh, that that one we love Terminator. You got to love Terminator. Well, yes. The 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 Terminator came back to try to kill uh, uh, Mrs. Connor Mm -hmm. so she wouldn't give birth to John Connor, Mm -hmm. who was the leader of the human revolution to uh, fight back against the machines. Who turns out to be the father of the guy who was sent back to... that would that got really creepy. That guy who went back turned out to be John Connor's father. That was very convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Rich, we're we're almost out of time as the license plate of... Uh, the professor in in Back to the Future. His uh, what, was his, what was his name again? Uh, I forget. How his could you name. forget his name? How could we forget, forget the guy's name? name? <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyhow, so let me let me let me tell you this this has been a great show, Rich. I mean, going back in time, it's nice to know that it may be possible one day. It's not possible yet, and we're not going to be able to visit major historical events in anybody's past right now, unless, of course. The government has a secret time machine, but I've spent some time in the government. They're no nearly they're not nearly as competent as anyone ever holds them up for being. Any 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 final reflections on, on this? Well, it's been a nice time here with you, man. Well, thank you, Rich. You've been listening to Star Talk, a radio program funded by the National Science Foundation. You can track us on StarTalkRadio.net, where you can hear past shows and get the schedule for upcoming shows. Uh, it's, there you have it. Check us out next week when Link Hoplix returns. Uh, a reminder, tonight she's performing live at the Pittsburgh Improv, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming. Astronomical.
addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.